The Ryan and Rush Show is brought to you by Vision Homes. Vision Homes. If you're looking to build in North Central West Virginia, visit askvisionhomes.com. Vision Homes, building you a house you're proud to call home. And don't forget to subscribe to The Ryan and Rush Show, but don't take our word for it. Take Coach Nealon's. Hi, this is Coach Don Nealon, and you're watching The Ryan and Rush Show. Please subscribe. And we welcome you in to another edition of the Ryan and Rush Show, your source for West Virginia sports. It's week seven in college football, and what would not be another week without behind enemy lines. A special one this week with the Houston Cougars facing our old coach, Dana Holgerson. We bring on right now Sam Raz. Sam, welcome to the show. We appreciate you having being on today. We're excited for this week. I'm almost speechless. We're so excited to be facing our old coach. A good old uh, showdown in Houston. Game should be in Morgantown, but that's a conversation for another time. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Rush, Ryan. Thanks for having me, fellas. Hey, anytime, Sam. Welcome to the Big 12. But let's get right into it. So let's talk about Houston Cougars football. What would you say the pulse of this program is right now? Coming off the bye week, tough loss in Lubbock. Kind of the second half got away from you. Uh, sitting at two and three overall, zero and two in Big Twelve play. What would you say is the pulse right now of this program and the fan base? I would say, uh, for you, if we're continuing with the pulse part of this, I would say it's close to flatlining, uh, just in terms of uh, the good feeling uh, from Cougar fans around this program. And I think when you looked at the schedule in the preseason, I don't think TCU, the previous Big Twelve game, or the most recent one you alluded to, Texas Tech, were games that Cougar fans were really confident that uh, Houston would win. I, I certainly didn't pencil either of those games in as wins in the preseason, but I think it's just it kind of like you alluded to, the lack of competitiveness in the second half, the uh, ability to show this offense that I think made the Texas Tech defense for a half look as foolish as anyone has this year, but to, to go from that to uh, I think it's completely more fun second half, where I think it was the total 91 yards and zero points, obviously, so it just kind of same old story of Daniel, Daniel Holerson's time here, other than I think one good season against a pretty iffy schedule is that you're kind of seeing this team lack the ability to play four quarters, certainly play well in all three phases at the same time against, you know, top 40, top 45 ish kind of opponents. So that's, it's kind of a frustrating place to be back to for Cougar fans who, again, I think there are realistic expectations for what this team could be in year one, but I, I think, there was certainly the expectation that you would be within 21 points in one or both of these games. That just, it simply, simply did not happen. You weren't really competitive when it was all said and done against uh, either of your big 12 posts, not to mention, I think some other frustrating to take uh, results this season outside of those two. So to bring up the person we obviously keep bringing up and kind of the Dana, the man of the hour, the man of the hour, as, as we all like to say, right. Good old Dana Holgerson. Uh, it's year five for him, right? Yeah, because yep, they're on the five, yep. path is Neil Brown. Um, kind of question is, do you buy or sell Dana Holgerson? And to kind of peel back a layer more of that, take us through kind of just briefly these five years of Dana, right? You you initially <laughs> get, get him. Or is is the Houston Houston Cougar fan base excited about getting him? Has it I would say so, yeah. You, so you get Dana Holgerson for the start. You bring in a power five guy and a guy that knows X's and O's, clearly from the offense. Uh, a guy that's energetic and hey, he'll he'll stand up for his football team if he needs to. But then bring us, okay, he comes in, you're excited. 
bring us to this point now. Are what what is the temperature in the room with Dana Holgerson? I mean, I think the answer to that's twofold. I think like it always is with any kind of coaching hot seat situation. It's the you know the fan, the alumni perspective versus also the administrative, the booster side. Honestly, the latter being the side that actually truly makes these kinds of decisions happen. And I would say Dana early on, like you alluded to, I think he had his supporters here. I think we we're excited about the hire because if you're a Cougar fan that goes back to the late 2000s, like Dana Holgerson was responsible for two of the best Cougar offenses of the century, two incredibly fun and exciting offenses, the case Keenum running the show here. And they've done some good stuff here, Holgerson and the staff. Like they inherited a really terrible roster situation from Major Applewhite and Tom Herman, especially the defensive side of the ball, where it was kind of, I think you probably count on one hand the number of true Division One starting caliber guys, even for a group of five program at the time that they had. And the staff's done a good job unearthing some, I think, not star recruits that have come into the program, like Marcus Jones, who's now at the Patriots, Demarion Williams, who's now at the Ravens, and Tank Dell, who's now at the Texans. Who None of those guys were star recruits when they came to Houston. And, you know, I, I think two seasons ago, the 2021 season, there are valid questions about the strength of schedule of that year. I, I don't care to really like dig into it. It was probably one of the best 30 or 35 ish teams in the country, probably a little overranked at the end of the season, but you know, did well against the schedule that they were against mostly. I think the real issue with this fan base, and I think the real negativity started with the 2022 season last year that I think we knew big 12 play was going to be a bit of a challenge. I think Cougar fans could even see that, you were going to lose some key guys like Tank Dell, who I just mentioned, Clayton Toon, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals. Kind of knew that this year was going to be a weird transition year, but I think had high expectations for last season. You had losing to Texas Tech in Week 2 last year when you had a 4th and 20. If you got the stop there, would have won the game. Uh, you had a sideline fight between players uh, against Kansas. Uh, and it was just a blowout loss. against an improved Jayhawk team, but, God, you really had hoped that one would be competitive. Him coming up and saying – I ain't taking responsibility for that uh, after the team just had an awful start to the year in terms of playing sloppy football, eventually having to apologize for that, and just having a real, real humiliating season, which you add on to that looking uncompetitive, like I said, against your two Big 12 opponents to date, Texas Tech and TCU, uh, losing to Rice for the first time since 2010. And I think you're just getting a fan base, and I would include myself in that, that's pretty over this coach. And I think any faith that this guy is going to right the ship long-term here, I, I think it's it's waning fast if it hasn't left the room. But I think to answer the kind of the second part of what I said at the top, I have no idea what the level of pressure that exists on him right now from an administrative and booster level. I know in the past, U of H has made a big deal about, you know, we fire coaches who win eight games. Although I will point out that was made while this was a group of five program that hadn't gotten Big 12 membership yet. But, I mean, this athletic director hasn't let any – coach that wasn't actively being I guess facing NCAA charges go from their job since he took it five years ago than Major Applewhite before Dane took this job I, I don't know are they going to start by firing a coach who's owed this big buyout or they made a big deal about hiring uh, four or five years ago I, I don't know I, I don't I think there are scenarios where if this team does bad enough like oh for Big 12 which I'm not saying is the most likely outcome but I don't think frankly after seeing his first five games is impossible. I think there are scenarios where the power brokers U of H just think this season is too much of an embarrassment to continue further. But I don't know if I had, if I had to bet on it, I would bet that he's the coach here in 2024. It doesn't, uh, does not fill me with joy fellas. <laughs> I got you. Uh, yeah, no, from what it sounds like he, I think he is going to make it through the year. 
I know that this is a big game for him personally, obviously. But hey, let's talk about so obviously Mountaineer fans uh, know the Dana era as an offensive era of football. Geno Smith, Will Greer, multiple guys in the league. Let's talk about your guys' offense because you do have some good pieces on the offensive side. Donovan Smith's been really good these last couple games. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. A familiar face for Mountaineer fans. Sam Brown is having a heck of a year as well, your leading receiver. Yes. And, of course, Tony Mathis in the backfield. Talk about how this offense um, ha- has fit so far this year through five games. And do you, do you think it's going to get better and better since Donovan Smith is a transfer? Uh, this is like the third or fourth time us Mountaineers have faced Donovan Smith <laughs> at a different school too. So, yeah, talk about Donovan Smith in this offense. Yeah, he's definitely looked better in the last couple of weeks, kind of like you guys uh, alluded to. Again, the caveat there is one of those weeks was against Sam Houston, a uh, new FBS team, and two of the four quarters against Texas Tech. This offense looked pretty bad, although I wouldn't I wouldn't put all of that or a lot of it on uh, on Donovan Smith uh, specifically. But I think that's been the maddening thing, it's just been the up-and-down nature of this offense. Like, week one against UTSA, offense looks really bad. Cougars do find a way to win against a – UTSA team that hasn't had the best start to their season. Uh, Rice, you just completely no-show the first half against a bad defensive team. Eventually, you do see enough in the second half there to get that game to overtime. Uh, looks bad against TCU, who I would say at best has a fine, not great defense. Great half against Texas Tech. But again, how great do you feel about that when the third and fourth quarters of that game were, were pretty lousy? I, I think to just assess that as, as harshly as I can. But... Donovan Smith has been looking more comfortable. I think Dana is starting in his offensive staff are starting to figure out what works for him in the passing game. I think the Cougars are quite talented receiver. I think that is the position group that I would most say is at the big 12 level right now for the Cougars. You have guys like Matt, Matthew Golden, who came in as a big recruit. Also Joseph Manjack, who unfortunately was not healthy for all of last season, but I, I think has, has really caught up to speed. He's a good guy. who's going to catch basically anything that's thrown in his radius, Sam Brown, who's been, I would say, the best player on this offense this season. A guy who I think did a good job last year, especially when some other key guys were hurt, kind of filling in. And that was really his first extended season of Division One action. And I think other than some, some not great uh, off-field stuff, like uh, Brown was calling camera slapping a Tulsa player after the regular season finale last year. Not, not the best, but yeah, he's looked like a different guy. He's looked like a, a more mature player and his, I think, even considering he's only caught one touchdown pass, which I would say is more of an anomaly than any kind of indication that he's not a good receiver, I, I think he's been your best player. And I, I think if Matthew Golden, who was the staff's star recruit two cycles ago, starts to play kind of up to the preseason expectations a bit, I think this Cougar offense has a good receiver group to rely on here. But I think that's just the ifs of getting Matthew Golden and Joseph Manjack to play at uh, – at Sam Brown's level today. I think that's that's the big if here for this offense. But I think there's definitely there's potential there, but I think you gotta see if you're a Cougar fan more consistently over four quarters to really start getting excited and buying in. Talk to us, Sam, a little bit about Houston joining the Big 12 as a whole, because, I mean, from a football side of things, it's it's been a little bumpy start for for the new four coming in. Obviously, BYU being an independent, the rest being uh, American schools. And, you know, I, I, I think there's this, we, we love to, to overreact, especially the, the game of football, because what you play once a week, you got a bye week in there. It's not like basketball yep. or hockey or 
baseball where you're playing every other day. So, you know, a couple games later, you can, you can switch the narrative. And I, I mean, I think especially from UCF, right. Is their quarterback's been injured all year long. So there's kind of this like, Oh, you know, maybe these aren't real power five. And it's like, guys, give it, give it a year. They're, they're adjusting. And then, Hey, and, and be careful what you say, because Houston also has a really good basketball program as well. One that could easily, maybe not easily, but have a chance to win the big 12 year. What's the temperature like? for Houston joining the Big 12, thoughts, concerns, pros, cons, everything related? I would say in the big picture, it's all it's all pros. I think the fan base is very excited to join this league. I mean, I think this is the, this is the first time since I was seven years old that U of H has been in a power league since the, the post-Southwest Conference days. That this is, this is finally, it's an athletic program that always uh, aspired to be playing back at that level, I think accounted for itself very well uh, in the Southwest conference days for roughly 20 years from the mid seventies to mid nineties of, of the football field and the, uh, the basketball court as well. But I, I think really so much of the past 20 something years in the wilderness is just showing the college sports world that this program is willing to operate at a quote unquote power conference level before even getting that invite. And I think whether you agree with the worthiness or not? I sh- showed enough. Showed enough the people who made the decision uh, for inclusion that UVA was worthy of that. And uh, I think, I think, uh, like you kind of alluded to, basketball. As soon as it be- now it's became official, everyone was just like, "This is so exciting! We're going to be playing a league that regularly is 80 percent tournament teams, and even the non-tournament teams are regularly among the best sixty-five or seventy in the country." It's just a no-off weeks kind of schedule that your fans are really excited about after finally five or six years ago really becoming a, a good basketball program but not really having uh not really having great conference competition i know periodically memphis and wichita state and cincy who's joining us were good in the american but there were so many seasons of maybe three or four super compelling american games and then you know however, however many other games where you're just like oh god please don't please don't lose to East Carolina. Please don't lose to Tulsa or something like that. And this is, this is a whole different experience there. I think really since the moment, September of 2021, that the announcement became official, I think that's the thing this fan base has been most excited about. Football is kind of just a uh, two years ago. I hope, I hope the program gets it kind of figured out. And then last off season, we're probably feeling pretty good after the 2021 season and kind of back to where we were when the announcement came out. And it's just like, Oh God, let's, let's see if we can win two or three big 12 games that first year. So that's kind of where the fan base is in the world picture, but I think just very excited to be, I think also on a more micro level. I mean, again, the number of Texas schools is about to shrink with uh, the Longhorns going to the SEC, but if you're a Houston fan, you don't encounter ECU or South Florida or Tulsa fans in your day-to-day life, but you almost certainly have friends or family or sniffing other people you work with that went to Texas tech, went to Baylor, went to one of the Oklahoma schools. So I, I think that from that perspective, this move is really exciting. And it just, it gives, gives the more casual Cougar fan also, because I mean, you want to be there for the team. And I, I think this fan base could stand to do a lot more of, Hey, show up for U of H, don't show up for the opponent, but it doesn't hurt the building a larger, maybe more casual side of the fan base to have, to have some more names, I guess, coming to TDSU stadium, as opposed to, you know, your directional Carolinas or your directional Florida's you, probably haven't actually ever encountered a real life fan or alumnus of outside of maybe attending a game. 
Sam, let, let me ask you this piggyback off that. Does does playing in a big city, for example, the Houston Texans, the Houston Rockets, does that hurt the turnout at games um, on the football and basketball side of things? I mean, I, I basketball seems to be fine because you guys have been in the top 10 every year, but if you have a mediocre year, does that hurt the attendance being in a big city like Houston? It doesn't help, but I don't want to give this fan base that cop-out. I, I still think given the volume of alumni, alumni. And I will, I will also say, like, when people say, like, oh, well, X number of alumni live in the Houston area, and that's factually true, but if you live in a western suburb of Houston, uh, I, I would say and you need to go to campus for, like, a uh, weeknight basketball game, that could be, like, a two-hour round-trip yeah. drive. Like, it's, like, it could be the equivalent of going, like, two towns over. And, and West Virginia just used kind of an imperfect example there, so... That's part of it, but I, I won't give this fan base that kind of cop out because I still think, given the volume of alumni in the area, that there should still be more butts and seats. I, I also do understand and even somewhat agree with it. the, I guess, logic that your only vote as a fan is your butt in that seat in your season ticket purchase, and that if people have seen the last year or so of UH football and just judged it as a, hey, this isn't going to get any better until there's a different person running it, and kind of vote accordingly with their season ticket purchase, their butt in the seat. Like I kind of get it. I live somewhere very far from Houston. And the reason I'm only making two trips back uh, for this football season isn't the convenience thing. It's because quite frankly, the difficulty of going that far to watch Dana Holderson football just doesn't seem like a sound investment to me, even as a season ticket holder. So I think I understand some of the reasons people haven't shown up and I won't say that, being a big pro sports town doesn't have sort of a negative effect, but I also won't. Oh, I won't use that as an excuse. I think the the attendance should and probably will at least to some degree improve as a result of this conference. But I, I think I think it should certainly be better as it is, even acknowledging all the other stuff going on. Yeah, that makes sense. I so I have uh, some family that's about two hours outside of Houston. If we ever visit them, we fly into the Houston airport, and Houston is. I don't mean this in a negative way. I just kind of mean it in an interesting, fascinating way, but it's kind of a weird area. It is a weird market. Like you kind of try to figure it out. And once you think you've had it figured out, it shifts a whole nother way. And it, but it's like the third largest market, but it's what, what makes it the third largest market besides population. It, it, it it is interesting. And of course with, um, and, and and with Houston joining the big 12, I think obviously that can only help, right. Kind of going into the long term. it's all pros, you know, short term, there may be some stumbling and, figuring things out and you know, you may need to get Dana out to kind of start that new, start that fresh. And let me ask you about that before we kind of move into some other predictions about this week. If you are just gut feeling, uh, obviously you're not a big fan of Dana anymore uh, being there. It's probably time for him to get out uh, according to you. And uh, you know, money is in buyouts a factor. What do you, how do you see Dana as a head coach playing out for the Houston Cougars? I think like I said in one of my previous answers, I, I if I had to bet he'll be the coach next year, but if the offense, I, I do see, because something he did in the offseason, uh, the OC, Shannon Dawson, I believe was with him at West Virginia previously, uh, left to take the same job at Miami. I think, one, Miami being a slightly bigger prestige job, and two, it, it sounded like from that arrangement that he would have much more of an independent say over the offense under Mario Cristobal than he probably did here under Dana and did and hire an OC. I think he eventually promoted Mike Burchett, another ex West Virginia guy who was an analyst, a quarterback's coach, but that was the, 
the sum total of the changes, and it's kind of been murky. Is this is this Dana running the offense? Is this Dana and Mike Burchett? Is this Dana, Mike Burchett, and new offensive line coach Iman Nagavi, who's also the run game coordinator? Kind of kind of a weird question. I know some points during the offseason there was some rumors that uh, uh, Jake Spavital, the former Texas State head coach, former uh, actually I just popped in my mind West Virginia offensive coordinator from Dana's yeah. last year there, mm-hmm. who's currently at Cal, that U of H might be pushing to get him to take the same job here, but that didn't end up happening. And I feel like if he comes back and U of H finds a way to win two or three big 12 games with the offense continues to be inconsistent, that I believe there's going to be, I believe there's going to be someone that comes in as an offensive coordinator who isn't just a nominal offensive coordinator. I believe, I believe it'll be someone who comes in who actually has some say over what happens offensively. And I really don't think as much as I liked this guy's defense two years ago, I really don't know if there's any way given how the Cougar defenses looked that uh, you could possibly bring back Doug Belk for a, uh, a fourth season as defensive coordinator. I think he'll have to make a change there. And so 2024, the bio gets a little lower. It gets starting to become a bit more appetizing to make that change if you're the U of H brass. So not a great position to be in to, I think if he comes back, potentially be breaking in one to two new coordinators. But I think that's the most likely outcome here that U of H gets somewhere in the four or five win range, the powers that be, decide well it's not great and our fans aren't happy but we don't want to be on the hook for somewhere around 15 million dollars although it's not a lump sum i will point out that u of h Mm -hmm. isn't in a situation like texas a&m was with kevin someone or i believe gus mel's on with auburn as well Mm -hmm. they can they can let him go and kind of pay it out monthly which isn't as much of a nightmarish uh, dollar figure but I, i think he's gonna be here next year and i think with at least one new coordinator and likely one of those being a guy who actually has a say over the offense outside of dana who I think has, has said previously, like he just finds it very difficult to also be to have the role of the CEO of this program, and also, sorry about my office automated lights, there, guys. <laughs> You're good. Uh, like, where do you go? <laughs> oh man, uh, to to do that and also be responsible for play calling, but he seems to be doing play calling this year. So it's kind of, I think there has to be an outside voice that comes in there, and you know, maybe with that and most of this roster projected return. That translates into a bull eligible Big Twelve team, but I, I don't know if it sounds like I'm kind of trying to talk myself into it. It's uh, it's accurate. I, You're I don't, trying to I don't. talk yourself into it. That's what. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey, so. Just just hold the fort down, Dana. Case Ke- why doesn't Case Keenum just come coach Saturdays back up on Sundays or wait till him? He's, he comes. He'll be back. He'll be back in this uh, this program in some form or fashion. But oh, like, yeah. and and it's it actually I think helped during the off season because he's someone who has a very good personal relationship with Dana from Dana's time as OC here. Uh, I think Case will be very much involved as per and once someone stops giving him checks to be an NFL backup. But hey, as long as they're coming, I, I encourage Case to keep uh, keep oh, living yeah. the NFL backup life. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't blame him one bit. Well, Sam, we really appreciate you uh, hopping on here. But real quick before we let yeah, you yeah. go, um, Rush and I have been on record. This is going to be, we think it's going to be a very tight game on Thursday. Oh, yeah. We know this is Dana's personal Super Bowl. Um, is this a game that you're sensing uh, from the staff, players, fan base that they can pull the upset? And what's your final prediction on Thursday night's game in Houston? You know, I go back to one of last week's Big 12 games. I was so confident, fellas, on my show that K-State was going to turn Oklahoma State into a fine powder in Stillwater on Friday. And then we saw, by all accounts, Oklahoma State badly outplay K-State. So Gundy. that's why I just uh, – I can't totally talk myself into this not being a close game, but I don't know. I, I think if I had to put a score on this, it's going to be 35-24 Mountaineers. I think it will be closer wow. than you might think from an 11-point final margin. But I just, 
I think you go a lot of ways in breaking this game down, but obviously tight on time here. So I'll just say, I just don't see any way this Cougar defensive front, which has let three opponents and almost four rush for well over, uh, well over their season best number. I don't know why that would change this week against West Virginia in a really good rushing offense. So that's, I, I think that's the, the hurdle that and also the Cougar offensive line being to do anything against a pretty good West Virginia defensive front. I, I just, I can't get past those hurdles to predict the upset win, but as I, I think that Oklahoma state case state head to head last week uh, proves just the big 12 could be very unpredictable when the favorite team is playing away from home and that we really don't know anything about uh, the teams outside the two departing sec school. So Maybe it's close, but I think you guys are probably a bit more optimistic about the Cougars' chances here than I am. <laughs> it's like it's like a cross right. collaboration. <laughs> I, know, I know. I think I think yeah. we can all agree it's gonna it's probably gonna be ugly in some form of way. Like this is not gonna so. be like not some smooth, nice old school Big Twelve shootout. This is just gonna be a bunch Thursday of resentment night game. build up and Thursday night football and just yeah. ground and pound. So we'll see. How yeah, exactly. Out. But it's going to be interesting. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, let everyone know where they can come find you. Yeah, uh, we are the Scott Holman Podcast. We do uh, weekly podcasts about the Houston Cougars. We also usually do 20 to 25 uh, minutes per episode on the Big 12 week that was and will be in football. If you want to get the Cougar perspective, we were recording tonight, previewing the West Virginia Mountaineers and the West Virginia versus Houston matchup. We were on Basically, anywhere you can find podcasts, the Scott and Holman podcast, as you can see on that pretty little crawl right below me at SHPAWDcast on Twitter or whatever it's calling itself this week, I say, is where we're most active social media wise. So follow us there uh, and get known about your uh, Cougars and Mountaineers uh, playing on Thursday. Hopefully, hopefully a game that is close for all four quarters. Uh, but I think it's very, it's very funny how. Uh, opposite we are not competitive this is yeah. going to be so appreciate you guys having me on uh talking some coops and mountaineers thank you sam it's good it's a perfect thanks. thursday night game this is a great one absolutely thanks sam good to see you all right everyone that was sam raz of the scott and holman podcast go check them out especially if you want your houston cougar information be definitely good coming around for basketball season ryan and i will be back tomorrow to give our prediction keys to victory like we do the day before game day and then uh thursday maybe a little pre and post game show we'll 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 figure that out still ryan but we love you all uh it's houston week it's dana week it's it's still building up here so go mountaineers 48 hours go mountaineers